The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When a listener of the podcast sends me a joke, I should be laughing. Instead, it makes me consider a horrifying detail I've never considered before. And then we take a look at the mystery of Christopher Case, a young man who met an intoxicating woman on a business trip. When he sat down to have drinks with a stranger, he had no idea he was sitting across the table from a vengeful witch. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I hope you guys are having tons of fun doing whatever you're doing. First off, walking into Dead Rabbit Command right now as a longtime supporter of the show, longtime Patreon supporter, longtime listener. Sent us a ton of stories over the years. Everyone give it up for Ampus Allen. Woohoo! Yeah, come on in, buddy. Come on in. He's been here a lot recently, sent the story about. Do aliens visit Earth because we're one of the few places in the galaxy that has snow? A lot of interesting stuff over the years. Ampus Allen, very, very thankful to have you in Dead Rabbit Command. You're going to be our captain or pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon, I totally understand, guys. Just help spread the word about the show. That really, really helps out a lot. It helps out so much when you get the word out about Dead Rabbit Radio. Ampus Allen, let's go ahead and hand you the launch codes for the Dead rabbit rocket ship we gotta leave earth behind that beautiful blue globe floating in the milky way we gotta say goodbye to earth because we're headed all the way out to deep space it's a nice leisurely journey through the vastness of space we got all the tang you could ask for and unlimited astronaut ice cream that's all i packed i hope you guys have your own multivitamins with you because it's going to be a long journey or a short one I don't know. I honestly don't know how long this segment's going to go. Because this... Let's get into it. Let's get into it. Hopefully short. Hopefully it doesn't take the whole 30 minutes. I can't imagine it would do that. But I find this idea so troubling that I don't... Okay, so let's get into this. The other day I did an episode called Intergalactic Cookout. I'll put the episode in the show notes. It was a fun one. But if you didn't listen to that episode, basically, it's so bizarre. Four people were out in the Arizona desert looking for some turquoise. They were like stone collectors or they sold it. And they saw a UFO disguised as dirt. You really should listen to the episode. It's so crazy. But they see a UFO disguised as dirt land maybe a couple football fields away from them. And then the dirt opened up and out walked humans. Or aliens disguised as humans. Who knows? And they weren't just dis- they weren't just wearing human skin. They were wearing human clothes. They were wearing like khaki pants and and t shirts. And they brought out a barbecue. There was like two dudes, two women, and a couple kids. And they brought out a barbecue pit, 
a cooler. You guys are like Jason your totally making this up. You just are trying to trick us to listen to this old episode. No, this was it's so weird. And they had a barbecue in the Arizona desert. And the kids are playing with toys and the men are grilling the meat and the girls are serving the drinks. And then one of the dudes, one of these guys who walked out of this dirt UFO, walked up to the four known humans. We know these people are humans. Walked up to the four turquoise hunters. And the alien guy goes, what are you guys doing here? And they said, uh, we're hunting for turquoise. <laughs> what are you guys doing here? How are you flying around dirt? And the alien said, I'll never understand humans and their fascination with rocks. Then he turned, then he went back to the barbecue. And then after a while, they packed all the stuff up, got back on the dirt UFO and flew away. Super bizarre story, right? Very, very interesting, especially even in UFO lore. That's bizarre. Even when you look at cattle mutilations and alien abductions and human hybrid programs and all that stuff, this is a story that totally sticks out. In a world of the weird, it's the weirdest. I love that story. I'm glad I could share it with you guys. And then we have a listener, I actually mispronounce his name, if you guys can believe that. You're like, Jason, you never mispronounce stuff. Paul Yiana. Paul is his first name. Paul Yiana. He actually sent me that book, uh, Vampires and Vampirism. It was like written like 20 years after Dracula came out. It's one of the first surveys of vampire myths. He sent me that book from my Amazon wish list. Really, really thank you for that. And Paul Yiana, we were talking via Instagram or Facebook, one of the two. And he sent me this little message after that episode. And it, let me just read it to you here. It's a quote. He's talking about that intergalactic cookout episode. He goes, quote, it's like the intergalactic equivalent of two families climbing into a broken station wagon, going to a national park for a barbecue, seeing a bear, and instead of keeping their distance, they decide to feed it and try to take selfies with it, unquote. I read that comment, and I thought, I think I sent back kind of a jokey response to him, but like, well, yeah, I guess you're right. But I have been thinking about his comment a lot, and it's super troubling. I never considered this before. This is super disturbing to me. In UFO lore, we know aliens come down, they interact with humans. They will sometimes abduct them, put in implants, run psychological tests on them. And sometimes in the most horrific alien abduction stories, the aliens will rape humans. Men and women will be raped by aliens. And whether it's for the alien hybrid program, or just for sheer evil. There's a ton of accounts of aliens raping humans. There's not a ton of accounts of aliens killing humans, but that would make sense because they're dead and they don't they can't tell us the story. But we've covered all sorts of stories on this show from alien sexual assault to people being trapped by aliens and seeing catatonic humans trapped in cages, all sorts of creepy stuff. And never once did I consider the thought that aliens could be taking pictures. I never once thought of an alien taking a photograph of a human. And this is why that is, this is so, this is so disturbing to me. I almost feel like I have an uncanny valley effect to it. It physically makes me ill to think about this subject. Now, I don't want to take up too much time talking about this. I have a bad feeling that I might, so I'm going to try to be succinct. 
And this makes sense if you think about it. This really makes sense because we do it. Right? We catalog life on Earth. Even before the invention of the camera, we have drawings of animals. People would see a salamander and they would sketch the salamander and then that drawing would go into an encyclopedia. You would have a human and they're doing an autopsy and you'd have people sketch the organs and that would go into a medical journal. Before the invention of the photograph, we highly detailed. We had illustrations for everything, especially things that you knew the reader wouldn't have access to. If it's a nature guide and you know they're never going to be able to go to Guam, you'll have sketches of all the flowers and all of the wildlife. But once the camera was invented and it became portable and affordable, you begin taking photographs of everything. Here's a picture of this. Here's a picture of that. Here's a picture of this flower. Here's a picture of this animal. So it would make sense that aliens traveling across the galaxy, I never considered this before, would highly document their journeys. There would have to be massive archives of video and photographic proof of their experiments. So what did that mean? This is why this disturbs me so much, is that what that means is somewhere out there in the galactic archives of these great alien empires, like the reptilians or the greys or any of the other ones, there are photographs of humans suffering. There are still images of a woman in terror as she realized she has been abducted and she's looking at her son being dragged off by inhuman creatures. There are photographs of children crying out for their mother as they are being strapped down to a cold metal table. There's video footage of people pleading to be released, pleading for any mercy at all, as alien tools are drilling into their skull. And there is video footage and still images and audio recordings of human men and women being raped by alien life forms. I never, ever considered that fact. And you could go, well, Jason, maybe it's not video footage. Maybe it's a hologram. I'm not quibbling with the technology that's used to capture the torment. I never even considered this. And in the lore, in the UFO stories, I don't think we've come across something like this. I could be wrong. I can't remember a time where someone is being experimented on by aliens and they see themselves being recorded. I can't recall that. But it has to be happening because we do it. And the one thing we know about the alien phenomenon is they have a lot of the same traits as humans. And a trait that I think every space-faring civilization has to have, they're curious. To soar through deep space looking for something, you would have to be curious to do that. You'd have to have a curious species to wonder what's out there. And they would doc- they would highly document their endeavors. So I know Paul was kind of making a joke, but that's really troubling to me. That's horrific, honestly. I find that so deeply disturbing 
that, like I say, it kind of makes me sick to my stomach. Because we read these stories, and it's one thing to have this person fall prey to this alien invader. And then they get free, and you go, wow, that was an insane story. But, you know, it, it was a horrible thing that happened to you, but you're back here. Versus their entire experience, all of the fear they felt, all of the physical pain and mental torture they went through, is also cataloged down to the second. Videotaped, photographed, recorded for posterity on an alien world. People undergo horrific crimes that they do get videotaped and they're shared online and people laugh and they gain enjoyment from watching these things. And imagine if you went through a horrible crime, that's bad enough, but now you know there's video footage of it out there and people are still watching it. So yeah, terrifying. Thanks, thanks, Paul, for for opening my eyes to this. I mean, I don't think that was your intent. Your intent wasn't to make me sick to my stomach. So all the UFO alien stories we cover, from the funny ones to the deeply disturbing ones, they are most likely recorded for posterity and stored away somewhere. That fear, that torment, that anguish, preserved for eternity. It was just a moment in time, something that the human may have forgotten about. They could have been hypnotized by the aliens, they could have had their mind wiped, the human may not even know that it ever happened, but somewhere out there, there is a video of them being strapped down to a table and having horrendous medical experience. If you're lucky, medical experiments run on you. If you're lucky, it could be one of these other horrible things that aliens have been known to do to humans. Terrifying, terrifying story. Again, <laughs> Paul didn't intend that. He was just making a goofy joke. But thank you for that horrible image, nonetheless. Ampus Allen, let's go ahead and... Ampus Allen is hiding under the coffee. He's like, bro, I don't want to go anywhere else. That story was spooky. Come here, Ampus. Ampus, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys to the Carpenter Copter. We're just going to leave the rocket ship here floating in deep space. We're headed back to Earth, the only place that's worth hanging out in the universe. We're going all the way back to Earth. Specifically, we're headed out. To San Francisco. First off, I want to start this segment off by giving a shout out to the website where I found this story at. I, I was not familiar with this story. I found this on a website known as the Morbid Library, and I got a lot of my information from a really well-written article written by Casper McFadden. So, shout out to you guys. I've been perusing the website a little bit more. It looks like you guys have some really cool, really creepy true crime stuff. So if you're into that, that will be in the show notes. It's April 11th, 1991, and we're in the city of San Francisco. And we're here to meet a young man. His name is Christopher Case. He's 35 years old. He used to live in North Carolina. Rayleigh, North, Raleigh, Rayleigh, one of the two. North Carolina. He leaves there. He moves to Seattle, Washington. And while he's in Seattle, he has a business trip to San Francisco. So that's why we're in San Francisco right now. And we don't have a ton of information to go off of in the beginning of the story. But as this story progresses, you'll go, Jason, this is obviously creepypasta. This doesn't sound right. This story was reported in several mainstream newspapers over the course of a few months. Newspapers in North Carolina and newspapers in Seattle, Washington, because it became such a bizarre case. 
So even though we don't have a lot of the initial details, as the story goes on, the details become a little more concrete. What we know is that on April 11th, he was in San Francisco on a business trip. And at some point during this day, he meets a woman and they hit it off right away. It's one of those moments where you bump into someone you barely know and you just start talking to them and you guys have everything in common. It seems like the conversation flows in such a way, and by the end, there's such a bond between you and this other person. You're almost thinking, do I know you from a past life? Like, you feel so comfortable. You feel like such a good friend. And I just met you. They talked for hours on this initial meeting. Everything just clicked. Everything perfectly fell into place between Christopher Case and this woman. But as the night was winding down, she made a move on him. She wanted it to be more than this deep spiritual connection. It feels like we've known each other for years and we've only talked for a few hours. She wanted more than that. She wanted it to get a little frisky. And he declines. No, I'm not interested. I don't know if he put it that bluntly, but he does decline. She becomes very upset by this. Really pisses her off. And at this point, she tells him, I'm a witch. I'm actually a witch. (laughs) You should have known that from the pointy hat and the fact that we are at Witch's Brew Restaurant. But I'm a witch. And I don't like the fact that you turned me down. So I'm going to curse you. I'm going to cast a curse. You will be dead within a week because you would not have sex with me. The reason why we know about that incident is because he immediately got really concerned by this. He was not a big believer in the occult. He wasn't a big believer in witchcraft or anything like that. But when anyone threatens your life, whether it be magical or otherwise, a lot of people are going to get concerned. Most people will be concerned about that, right? Because you don't know if she's like, my witchcraft will get you. (laughs) For all you know, that's the name of her street gang. But then also you have to think, well, maybe she is a witch. Maybe she actually does have these powers. He begins calling his friends up. He has a lot of friends still in North Carolina. And they can tell he's really upset by this. And this is where we get most of the story is from his friends who were interviewed by the police and by newspapers after this event happened. He was calling his friends up and he goes, Hey guys, I met this girl in San Francisco and everything was going great until she threatened to kill me using black magic. And they could tell, his friends could tell that he was very, very worried that she was the real deal. Even though he didn't believe in this stuff. He actually, it wasn't that he just didn't believe in it. He didn't have any interest in it. He didn't care about it. He didn't look into it. He wasn't even openly skeptical. It just wasn't anything interesting to him until a witch cursed him. And one of the friends, one of his old friends was a woman named Sammy Soder. And Sammy, she claims to be a psychic. She goes, we got a lot of information about the story from her. She goes, I've known Christopher for 10 years, never expressed any interest in the paranormal or the occult at all. He calls me up. He's freaking out. Is this stuff real? Can it actually affect me? Am I cursed to die in seven days? 
Christopher ends up traveling back to Seattle. He was in San Francisco for just a brief trip, brief business trip. On April 18th, 1991, one of his friends from North Carolina can't get a hold of Christopher, and she becomes very concerned for his welfare. They know the mental state that he's been in. He's been calling the friends very, very concerned about this witch encounter. A friend ends up calling the police in Seattle asking for a welfare check. Can you swing by, check out my friend Christopher Case, here's his address. Sir? Sir, Seattle police. Are you okay in there? No answer. They don't hear anyone walking to the door. I guess he's okay. The police leave. A short time later, Seattle police, we probably should have checked on you. That's what we're here for, welfare check. Can you open up the door, sir? We want to see if you're okay. Your friends are worried about you. No answer. The police look at each other and go, uh-huh. we'll come back later. We'll come back later. I mean, again, it's welfare check. People are concerned because he's not talking to anyone. He's not picking up the phone. They knock on the door. He's not coming to the door, but the police are like, yeah, yeah. Maybe he's just taking one of those naps where you hear no noise and it lasts forever. So they leave. They come back a third time. You know, they're in the police handbook, it does say third time's a charm. Whenever you're trying to handcuff someone, you're going to mess up the first two times. But on the third time, you'll have him in cuffs. Seattle police, sir, open up or we're going to come in. Welfare check. Okay, let's go in. I don't think they kicked down the door. I don't think they busted down the door. They didn't seem too urgent to go in the first two times. Probably got keys from the landlord. They end up entering the apartment. When they walk into the apartment, they realize immediately that something very odd is going on here. Every single wall in the apartment has salt poured along the edge. Very, very old school way to keep out spirits and ghosts. You salt your house. Now, generally, you salt your entrances. You salt your doorways and your windows. The fact that he salted the entire apartment, that's generally not necessary. You don't have to do that. You just have to take it from a guy. <laughs> I salted a witch myself over that episode of the show notes. You just salt the entrances. But salt everywhere. That's a sign of someone who doesn't really know what they're doing. It's just a waste of salt at a certain point. But anyways, they find all this salt. They do find crucifixes, several crucifixes spread throughout the apartment hanging on the wall. And they find around 10 candles burned completely down. Out on the porch of the apartment, there is more salt. This time the salt is poured in geometric designs on the porch. And they do locate Christopher Case. He's laying in his empty bathtub. He's dead. Now, this actually popped up in the news, like I said, in the Seattle newspapers and in newspapers in Raleigh, North Carolina, because it was such a bizarre mystery. How did this young man die? At first, they had no idea what it was. Was it a witch? (laughs) There was a headline, did a witch kill this man? But that was included in the articles. They would say stuff like, here's the story leading up to this man. He thought he was cursed by a witch. The police come into his apartment. They find the salt and he's dead. And we don't know why. And then, you you know, we have the 
benefit of time. We can look at articles that have been published years ago, right? This happened back in the 90s. But at the time, they're like, we don't know why this guy died. We have theories. People were putting out theories. One of them was carbon monoxide poisoning because he was burning candles. They found that 10, 10 candles isn't enough to do carbon monoxide poisoning. <laughs> don't quote me on that if you're like, oh, I only had nine going. I'll do 10. Jason said it's okay. But if he was burning multiple candles, maybe they only found that 10 burned down. He could have been burning more over the previous nights and, and created carbon monoxide poisoning. But then when they did the autopsy, that turned out not to be true. When they did the autopsy, he had died of a heart attack. This young man, 35 years old, had died of a heart attack. Which is very rare, but not unheard of. But even when the articles did report how he died with a heart attack, the articles were still basically saying, did he scare himself to death? Did he work himself up so much about this witch's curse? that he had a heart attack. He was so terrified he had a heart attack. Or was the witch's curse true? Now, none of the mainstream none of the mainstream articles actually said that, but once the mainstream articles were published, we're looking at other people writing articles like the Morbid Library and podcasts like this that would say, was the witch's curse true? Is that what happened? What's interesting is the story I just read you is almost detail by detail to the Morbid Libraries story. But there are a couple details that aren't correct. And this is tends to what happened in these stories. They kind of start to get exaggerated. Reading and Morbid Library, you guys did a great job. I'm not criticizing that. I think eventually the information kind of gets changes a bit and stuff like that. The key details are correct. Christopher Case died of a heart attack in his bathtub. He claimed to have met a witch in San Francisco and was complaining to his friends about this. He was very, very terrified. That's all true. The seven days thing is not true. You'll find the curse was going to take place in seven days. It was April 11th when he met her, and it was April 18th when he's died. Sammy, Sammy Soder, the psychic, said he was calling me for the past few weeks about this. So it was not a seven-day time period. I think that was something that was added in after the fact. I don't know why. I don't know if someone got sloppy on their notes. And then that version of the story started getting passed in. But that's not true. Sammy, in the articles, when you can look through the articles, she says he called me for the past few weeks and said that he was nervous about this. So definitely this story did not take place within seven days. It's also interesting, I found this detail going through different articles about it, that... He was complaining not just that there was a witch's curse on him. He was definitely doing that. But towards the end of this few-week time period where he was freaking out to his friends about this, he left a message on one of his friend's answering machine, and he left this message on Sammy's answering machine that he felt that, quote, people are trying to do things to me, unquote. Were they physical people he was complaining about? Did she have a gang called the Witchcraft Crew? They were coming around with their broomsticks banging on his door. Was he actually worried about real people doing real bodily harm to him? Was he so wrapped up in this magic, this curse idea, that he began to hallucinate things? He began to become truly paranoid. Or is it possible that, you know, I've kind of been glossing over this whole thing in this paranormal podcast, she may have been a real witch. Now, this is high-level witchcraft, right? The average witch you meet on the street or the average witch you see on TikTok 
Couldn't do this in a million years. Stuff like this is very, very rare in the witchcraft community. High magic, you could pull stuff off like this. You still have to be a pretty good practitioner. But witchcraft is considered low magic. It's all very... It's basically law of attraction with rhymes. There's not much to witchcraft. It's very, very low skill level. And because it's low skill level, it's low result level. Or you really don't get any huge things. Witchcraft has a cultural cachet because of the entertainment industry. First off, yeah, it could have been true. She could have been rejected by this guy, and then she killed him using magic. That's definitely possible in the world of the paranormal. Then you have the thing that she may not have been that powerful of a witch, which I honestly think is true. Even though that power level is possible, if she's using that level of power every time someone rejects her, that's really, really using a bazooka to take out a fly. Right, The amount of magic you would have to call on to curse someone to kill them just because you got rejected, it just seems... That, to me, <laughs> that to me is the more ludicrous part of the story. That someone who has this level of power is just going to kill some random person because they don't want to have sex with them. I find that odd. Because if you have this level of power, you could just make him have sex with you. There's always a huge debate in the witchcraft community or the magic community in general about love spells. And is that considered date rape? Because that technology, I shouldn't say that technology, those techniques are there in that community. You have the idea, and this is the most popular one, even in the news articles where they are mentioning witchcraft and things like that, is that she said she was a witch and she did threaten that he would die. And that scared him so bad, he scared himself to death. That's what you'll see in a lot of these articles. He scared himself to death. He had a heart attack because he was so scared and died. A fascinating story, and it's a terrifying one as well, because basically what it's about is a man being hunted, and he has no safe haven. He's not in the city he grew up in. He's in a brand new big town trying to make a new life for himself when he stumbles across the witch. Of all things, a witch. And of course he knows no one's going to believe him. He talks to his old friends, and I'm sure some of them were saying, like I'm saying, ah, just forget about it, it's nothing. If she was a wizard, now you should be worried. If it was high magic, I'd be concerned. But I'm sure a lot of his friends were trying to console him, and even Sammy. I She might have been giving him advice on how to fight back against the witch. But just because you're psychic doesn't mean you're a believer in magic. They're honestly two different things. Psychic is more in the world of science. Magic is in the world of fantasy. So you're in a new city. You can call your friends. But what can they do? Even if they lived near you, what are you going to do? And you can't call the cops. What can they do? So you just sit and try to ignore it. But every little thing that goes wrong in your life over those next few weeks, you think it's the curse coming true. And for all you know, it is. For all we know, it was. We don't know what killed Christopher Case. Could have been a heart defect. He could have been scared to death. Or he could have been killed by a witch's curse. Again, a witch who would have to be extremely powerful and extremely petty to kill a man for turning her down. And while the mystery of the death of Christopher Case may never be solved, 
it's very likely that that woman, that witch, is still out there. A person so powerful, she can kill you. She can kill you without laying a finger on you. She can kill you by using fear. She's still out there. I doubt this is the first time she's done it, too. Or the last. So at a certain point, you have to ask yourself, is she a witch? Or just a serial killer? Whose preferred mode of murder is fear itself. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. TikTok is at DeadRabbitRadio. DeadRabbitRadio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. Peace.